Grace, well, it's Christmas season. You guys ready for it? Okay, all right. Okay, all right. You guys kind of failed at that. Uh, first service was all about Christmas, man, but uh, yeah. I mean, anyone want to admit their inner kid in here and just say, hey, I still like to get presents? Anyone? Okay, all right. Presents are good. We like to give stuff, but you know, some of us, we still like to get stuff too, okay? Nothing wrong with that. All right, well, hey, we're going to kick off this new series today. The light has come. Looking forward to... Uh, Get to walk through this with you guys. Um, maybe you're new here this morning. Maybe you got that mailer that we sent out this last week and uh, don't know a whole lot about Christianity, about the Bible. Well, I got news for you, okay? Today's a great message to be at because we are literally going to be in not just the first chapter of the Bible, like the very first verse of the Bible. So if you don't know where to go in your Bible or where we're going to be at, literally the very first page, the very first verse, we'll get this thing started in just a little bit, all right? Um, now, so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be setting this stage or setting the scene for this light that's coming, who is Jesus, okay, which is an incredible, incredible thing that we get to celebrate at Christmas time. Uh, but before we do, um, we're going to talk about some other things first. Now, obviously, the light coming, Jesus coming to this earth as our Savior, good news, right? It's good news? Okay, all right, good. We, we all agree with that. Now, before we get to the good news, though, there's some bad news, okay? And so that's, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, it, and here, here's the whole deal. If, if Jesus came, God's son, had to come to this earth to bring hope to us, really we need to figure out, like, why or how, like how, how do we get to this place of being hopeless? Or if, you know, Jesus came to fix our relationship with God, what happened that like, it was broken. Like, how did, that, how did that happen? Like, okay, he's come to fix us. He's come to restore the relationship. But why? What happened before that? Well, again, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning. So, huh, here's the deal. If you thought you were going to come in today, and you thought you are going to come in, you are just going to sing some Christmas songs, you were going to be encouraged, and you are going to leave here happier than when you came in. Bad news. Okay. Bad news, all right? Uh, we're talking about sin, okay? So um, we'll, we'll go ahead and get this thing going, though. It is Christmas time, and so let's, let's start off at least with something kind of good. I want you guys to do something for me. I want you to picture, just in your mind for a few seconds there, picture a perfect world, okay? So just individually there in your seats. I want you to just take a few seconds, picture a perfect world, all right? All right, now, um, kind of hard to do, but uh, let, let me maybe help you guys out with this a little bit, all right? Let me help you out. So uh, a perfect world would be this. Last Saturday in November, when the game is on, you guys know where it's going, right? Ohio State Buckeyes fans can sit down with Michigan Wolverine fans in the same room watching the same game and not like be busting each other up, right? We can have a good time watching the game. That would be a perfect world. How about this? Another example of a perfect world would be, now this is only going to apply to all my Tiffin people. Maybe you went to Tiffin Columbia, so you'll understand, all right? But in a perfect world, Tiffin Columbian football players can sit down and hang out with the B team from Bellevue, which, I, you know, obviously that's Bellevue, right? Doesn't happen, but in a perfect world it would, and they wouldn't be going at each other. And how about this? This is a good one, all right? Perfect world, ready? Where Hillary... And Donald Trump can sit down together 
and just talk nicely to each other, right? That's in a perfect world. Now, um, all joking set aside, let, let, let's be honest. Those are all just funny examples or whatever. Um, if we're honest, though, when we think about a perfect world, we don't think about those things. Really, probably what some of you guys thought of just a few seconds there. What do you think about a world where families don't get torn apart because of divorce? Have you thought about a world with no cancer? Thought about a world with no pain? Thought about a world with no death? Well, here's, here's the crazy thing about that. There was a time when the world was perfect, where those things did not exist. And so let's get this thing going. Go ahead and get your Bibles or check it out here on the screen. We've got the very first verse in the entire Bible. Check out what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what does that verse tell us? It tells us this, that before creation, God was present. He is, I know this is hard to understand, but he is eternal before creation. Uh, and, and, and just so we know this, this message is not about like, hey, how did the world come into existence and creation versus evolution or other ideas like that. Um, we're, we're not talking about that. We've actually talked that, about that before in a series called Ever Wonder Why. You can check that out um, on ohiograce.com and uh, you can check out sermons there and you'll, you'll see that, all right? So here's the deal. God, he is the one who spoke the world into existence. So we're, we're just gonna go over some of those. And, and if you would go back to like Genesis 1 and you would read through it, what you're gonna read is uh, the story of how the world was created and formed. And this is what it says. Genesis 1:4 says, God said, let there be light. And God says that it was good. Genesis verse uh, 10, chapter one, God made the waters and the land and he said that it was good. Genesis 1:12, God made the plants and trees and it was Ah, okay. All right. Genesis 1, 16, God made the sun, moon. And then I think it's kind of funny. And that verse is like, God made the sun, moon. And then I just made the stars also, like it's no big deal, right? But God made them and it was? Okay. All right. Great. All right. Verse uh, 21, God created the creatures and the sea and the birds of the sky. And he says it was good. Genesis 1, 25, God made animals and it was good. And then here's kind of like creation's been building up to this sixth day, this the, the centerpiece of creation, Genesis 1, 26 to 31, kind of a lot of verses here, so follow along, but check out what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God, he created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. And rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth. Uh, and every tree whose fruit contains seed, this will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, for every creature that crawls on the earth. Everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Last verse here. God saw all that he had made. And check this out. And it was... Very good indeed. Evening came in the morning, the sixth day. All right. So man is made. Man, when we are made in God's image. I mean this, that we are distinct from all other creation. Right? He looks on all of his creation and he says that it was good. Right? We repeated that several times. He made the trees, made the birds, made all these different animals. He said that it's good, but it's interesting. When he says he makes a man... He ends a little differently. He says, now I look at creation, and he says that it is very good. And because we're made in his image. 
But we're not just made in his image, we're also made in his likeness, which is a really cool thing to think about. That all of the creation doesn't get experienced this. We are, uh, we are made in his likeness. It involves God's personality. It involves his moral and spiritual qualities. It involves his authority. So at the very beginning, we've got to think about this, Genesis 1, every single life that is created by God has value. Every life. Because we're made in his image, in his likeness. We have a higher value than the rest of creation. And, and, and here's the deal. We ultimately know this, and we're kind of getting ahead talking about the light, but we ultimately know that we have value in our life because God looks at us and you know what he says? Yeah, you guys messed up, which we're talking about today. But he says, you're worth dying for. I mean, you're worth my son going to the earth, Jesus, and dying in your place, for those of us that put our faith in him. So at this point, Adam and soon Eve, they have a close relationship with God. It's, it's kind of a cool thing to think about, but daily uh, we're told that they would commune with God, which just means this. They would hang out with God in the evenings. He'd come down and they'd walk and talk in the garden and they would have that fellowship or that communion relationship, right, that God made us for and that we long for to have with God. So they got to experience that. Nothing in between them, Adam and Eve hanging out, doing life, walking through the Garden of Eden, talking with God. How cool. In those verses before, God gave clear instruction of what we should do. He, he told us to be fruitful, to multiply, fill the earth, to do it, and then to rule over it. So we got instructions of what to do when, we're, when we were made, but Genesis 2, 15 to 17 tells us we have instructions really of what not to do. Check out what it says. The Lord God, he took the man and he placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, hey, you're free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So most of us probably know this, but the one rule that God gives Adam and he gives Eve, hey, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's it. You can eat from all the other trees, all the other trees in the garden, but that one tree do not Eat from. Now, some people have maybe thought, maybe you think this, but some people have asked this before. Hey, like, why would God put that tree in the garden? Like, why would he do that? Well, here's, here's the deal. The garden has everything they need, including one forbidden tree along with one rule, right? That one rule that allows us, again, to decide if we are going to follow God or not. He gives them, Adam and Eve, and he gives us a choice to follow him. So here's the deal. We got a perfect world. No sin in the world, right? No death, there's no cancer, nothing, right? It's, it's all, all, all good. Everything's good, perfect world. I like to think about it like this. Let me just ask you guys this. Is there any Christmas vacation fans in here? Just raise your hand, I, I gotta know. Okay, awesome, that's great, that's great. We're gonna have a little fun this morning. Okay, so um, the iconic scene on Christmas vacation is when Clark Griswold, he's, man, he's in his living room. Remember, it's Christmas. You guys know the story goes. And he's just jolly, he's happy, he's excited. Why is he excited? Because he's got this check, right? This big fat bonus check that he just, man, Clark Griswold, he is 100% certain that Mr. Shirley got him this big bonus check and it's gonna pay for the pool that he's already put a down payment on, kind of got ahead a little bit. But he's, man, he's looking forward to it, right? And so all he has to do is open this check and everything's good. Now, Clark Griswold, in that moment, it's like everything's perfect. Right? Only thing that's separating him from him and all that money is a little envelope. He's got to rip it open. I mean, not even Cousin Eddie can bother this guy, right? 
Like no one, right? He's got all the annoying family there. No, it's, he's happy, right? He's good. Everything's fine because he knows what's inside this envelope. The Christmas tree is lit, right? Remember the family's gathered around. He gets the envelope, right? Perfect world. Everything's good, man. He's happy. He's all smiles. Until you guys know, right? Rips the envelope open. And surprise, definitely surprise, he gets a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. That's not going to pay for a brand new pool, all right? And he absolutely loses it. Now, I, I thought that it would be funny to, like, do that, but I don't want to lose my job. So we're not going to do that, all right? But, hey, going back to the Bible, everything's good. Everything's fine in the world, right? It's perfect. There's, there, there's nothing's going on that's hard. Like, there's no sin. There's no consequences of that, no death. Until we get to Genesis chapter 3, then things start to change, and we see that darkness enters the entire world. We're going to call it this disease, this sin that we all have. And outbreaks here in verse number 1 of chapter 3. Check out what it says. Now the certain was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, hey, did, <laughs> did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? I mean, hold on, did God really say, okay, let's just start with this, okay? Um, if you're Eve, uh, your first, yeah, the first thing that goes on in your mind is it shouldn't be like, hey, let's have a conversation with a snake, right? Um, kind of weird, okay? Uh, but it is, again, a crafty, cunning animal, and so, like, she has this conversation with Satan through the snake. And so Satan, he causes Eve to doubt and to question God. But isn't that exactly what the enemy does to, to me, to you, and to all of us? He gets us to start to question God. And, and here he focuses on the negative over the positive. He doesn't focus on the fact that there's thousands and thousands and thousands of trees in the garden that they can eat from. No, what does he do? He pulls out the one and he brings it into question. He puts a negative view on God's command. His question here, it gives the impression that God is for himself, and he's cruel, he's mean, he's spiteful, he's self-protective. And so the, the serpent, he launches his offense with these words, I mean, did God really say that, Eve? Did, did he really say that? I mean, are you sure? I mean, hey, hold on. I mean, it's Adam, right? Like, maybe Adam told you that, but I don't know if that's God, right? Maybe for us, if Satan's done this to us, tempted us before. Maybe it's, hey, are you sure you heard that? I mean, like, I mean, God's word says that, but is that really what it means? Maybe Zach said that on a Sunday morning, and yeah, does, is that really what that means? And so what happens here is it's like he draws her in for conversation. But he doesn't just come out and like outright attack God or attack God's word. It's like he draws her in to get her like thinking a little bit, right? He's, he's smart. He's a good deceiver, right? And he does that to her and he does that to us all the time. So check out what Eve's response is. It says this, and the woman said to the serpent, Hey, we may eat the, uh, the fruit from the trees in the garden. Like, we're allowed to do that. Next verse. But about the fruit, the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. And I just want to say a little quick word here real quick, okay? You guys catch that? Part of what she said was true, right? Part of what she said, she's on point, right? Yes, you can't eat it or you, certainly you're going to die. But then she kind of, she doesn't kind of, she definitely adds to God's word, which is a dangerous thing to do, okay? And so she says, hey, can't just not eat it, but we can't touch it or we will die, which again, part of that wasn't, wasn't necessarily true. Then he goes on, 
Next verse. Hey, it's the Satan, right? No, 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 you, you will certainly not die. You're not gonna die, the servant said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, man, your eyes can be opened. And you're gonna be like God, knowing good and evil. It's like, no, man, no. Hey, hold on, Eve. Come on. You're not gonna die. Man, God wouldn't do that. He's like, no, that's, that's not what's gonna happen. You'll be fine. See, first the serpent, he made her doubt God's word. But now, what does he do? Again, he's subtle, right? He slowly creeps in here. And he straight up takes a direct hit at God's word, denying what God said to be true. The very first doctrine in scripture that Satan attacks is that sin results in death, which is totally opposite of what God had already told Adam back in chapter two, verse number 17. He tells Eve, hey, Eve, when you eat this fruit and your eyes are gonna be opened, you're gonna know good, you're gonna know evil, man, you're gonna be just like God. See, this lie has been breathed into each of our hearts. This lie was sold, to, it was sold and told to Eve. And it's this, hey, Eve, if you listen to God, you're gonna miss out. I mean, if you listen to God and what God's word says, Eve, I'm telling you, you're gonna miss out. Happens to us all the time. Here's the deal, man, God, he has our best interest at heart. Satan, he deceives us, he's so good at it, right? To make us think the complete opposite. Like God does not have our best interest at heart. And see, we think in the moment of temptation, right? If, if I do, you know, if I do, if I give in to whatever I'm tempted with, like, hey, it's better for me. Like, it's, it's better for me. It's going to be life better. It's going to be life happier. Even if it is directly against what God's word says. I mean, it benefits me more than doing what God wants. Man, when we're like that, we start to have those conversations in our mind. We're like Eve, so easily deceived. We rationalize. We justify. We give in to that temptation. So here's the deal. Every time temptation comes up, it calls God's word into question. When really... We should be told opposite when temptation comes up. If you fast forward to the gospel, right? Jesus on this earth, he's doing life, and he's, you know, healing people and all this stuff. He spends some time, he gets away, and actually goes to the desert, and he's there for like 40 days. And Satan comes to him three different times, and he, he tempts him, right? He, he tempts him that God would essentially, or Jesus would bow down to him. And how does Jesus respond? He responds with God's word. And God's word should be what we give as a defense when temptation comes. We should run and dive into God's word when we feel the temptation to give in that sin. Going back to the garden, see, Satan, he not only tempts her, but he tries to get her to doubt what God said was to be true. He also tries to change the descriptive name of God. Back in chapter 2, verse 14 and 25, it's like 10 or 11 times, the creator God references himself as Lord God, which in Hebrew is Yahweh Elohim, which is the personal name for God that God gave his people. He's a personal God. He's a relational God. But it's interesting, in Genesis chapter 3, if you look at it, every time that God's name is brought up, by Satan, he drops off Lord. And he gives this idea that, hey, Eve, God is just some distant like being that's lording over you, uh, and he doesn't want what's best for your life. And he's just distant. He's far from you. He just wants to put these rules into place just to make your life a little more difficult. And so Eve, she starts to get more and more deceived. 
I think that we get, we're, all, we're all easily deceived. And, and maybe some of you guys have a, a friend or a family member that's like this. Uh, they're like the family member that has like a, a box at their door every day because they order every, they'll see an infomercial like late at night and they just buy it, right? Like we are easily deceived. Now think about this. That's not a huge deal. But when it comes to sin, Satan has been doing this deceiving thing for a long time. I mean, since almost the creation of the world, Satan has been deceiving and so we have to know this. Our only defense that we can give when Satan deceives us is God's word. I mean, that's, that's the only thing that we can turn to. Eve's response is this. The woman, she saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit, she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them, they were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. See, Eve, she, she saw the fruit, right? then she took the fruit and she ate it, and then she gives it and hands it off to her husband. And so for the first time, sin, this darkness enters the world, and with it comes guilt, shame, fear, and some other consequences. See, and sin always looks good in the heat of the moment, right? Temptation, when it comes, we don't see what it brings later down the road, but we're like Eve here, where, man, that fruit, it looks good. It's gonna give me, like, I'm gonna know what's good and what's right. I'm gonna be like God, right? And so we see the, the quote, unquote, the good, right? The, the, the benefit to our eyes or whatever. It looks good, right? And, and here's the deal. Sin does look good. Temptation looks good. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't give in to it. As a response to this feeling of guilt and shame, which I just remind you, remember, sin wasn't in the world before this. It's the first time they've ever felt these feelings of guilt, shame, and fear. Never felt it before. So what do they do? They do what each of us do when our sin gets exposed. They try to cover it up. Check out what it says here, verse number 8 to 13. Then the man and his wife, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, hey, where are you? And he said, I, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so, and I hid. Then he asked, who told you that you were naked? And here's the question, you ready? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man replied, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. So the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Okay, so going back to what I was saying earlier, this was normally the part of the day that was like, this was the part of the day, I guess, that they looked forward to in the evening Right, they would spend that time, however long that was, walking, talking with God, getting to know God, which remember, having that relational aspect with him, which remember is our whole purpose, right? Our purpose is to have that relationship with God. And so that time when God comes down, right, to meet with them, a time of fellowship, time to hang out, time to get to know God and Adam and Eve to fulfill why they were created, their purpose for creation they're nowhere to be found. So God, he, he's, he's ready for this time, but he, he comes down, and not to surprise, right, because he knows everything. No Adam or no Eve. And so he asks a question that he already knows the answer to. Hey, where are you at? Like, where are you at? Adam admits that he's hiding from God, and then 
we see darkness. Again, it, it just more and more, we see more consequences that come with this sin. Almost immediately. When God comes to him, right, about Adam eating off of this tree that's forbidden tree, he's not supposed to. Adam's like, oh yeah, I, I did that. I messed up. I'm sorry, God. No, not at all, right? What does he do? He does what all of us do when we get caught in our sin. He pushes it off. And he kind of, in a way, he indirectly blames God and also Eve, his wife. He says this. He says, hey, God, yeah, uh, the woman, yeah, I ate, yeah, uh, the woman that you gave me, yet she gave me the fruit and then I ate it. Then when God questions Eve, she does the exact same thing. She pushes it off on the serpent. She's like, yeah, uh, the serpent, he deceived me and I ate it. See, here's the deal, man. No one owns up to their own sin, right? And that's how all of us are. Right? We try to push it off on other people. So when we sin, our relationship with others is fractured. And most importantly, when we sin, first and foremost, we're sinning against God. And so our relationship with God is fractured. But also when we sin, not just against God, but a lot of times against other people like it is here. And it affects them. If I go out and do a sin, if I do something that I shouldn't, right, it's probably not going to affect maybe the cashier at Walmart that I'm going to see today. It may affect some close friends that I have, but it's mostly going to affect me, my relationship with God, my wife, and my kids, and the people that I'm closest with. See, that's what sin does. It affects those relationships. And on earth, our most important relationship that we have between each other is, is marriage between man and woman. And in this relationship, it gets a little more difficult, all right? Verse number 16 says this. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Guys, you ever been there? It's pretty painful, right? All right, okay, I heard a woman say yes, all right? I was in the room, all right? It sounds painful. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. So there's gonna be pain and childbearing as a result of sin, but also as a result of sin, there's gonna be this constant struggle between husband and wife. And then he doesn't leave Adam out. He goes to Adam, verse 17, he says this. And he said to the man, hey, because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow and you will return to the ground since you were taken from it for you are dust and you will return to dust. See, the punishment reveals that man's sin, it is the cause for the curse against the ground, resulting in a harvest that's going to be tough and painful and there's going to be thorns and thistles and sweat. But that's, that's not the only thing. That's not the only thing. Ultimately, the curse of sin brings the harshest of reality. It brings an earthly death and eternal death. See, maybe some of you, you, just, you don't get it. You're like, I, I just, I, I don't, AJ, I have a hard time with that. All she did was one little sin. All she did was just disobey God in just the littlest way. See, I think the issue is this. I think the issue is we don't have the right view of God. And the Bible calls God in Isaiah 6. He says that the angels, they cry to him, holy, holy, holy. I don't think we understand God's holiness. What sin is, God is the total opposite. He is the total opposite. And so it's not only we view this sin and how bad it is, but we also 
have to see that God is total opposite of that. See, in that moment of sinning, man, it, it's surely good. I mean, sin always does. In that moment of giving that sin, it, it looked good. It looked, the apple looked good to know what she would get, know what he would get. But fast forward, and we start to see now the devastation that sin brings to our world. I mean, all these different sins and consequences and now labor, all these different things, and now death. But it doesn't just stop there. Genesis 4 tells the story of Cain and Abel. And a lot of you guys probably know the story and how that goes. Cain and Abel are Adam and Eve's, their first two kids. Now, long story short, Adam brought, or I'm sorry, Abel brought the first and the best to God. Cain didn't. Abel brings his gift to God, his sacrifice to God. And what does God say? God's like, hi, I accept that. This is what I commanded. This is what I called for you to do. And so God, he accepts it. And the Bible says that God was pleased with what Abel brought. But Cain, he didn't do that. Cain brought something else. It wasn't the best. Disobeying God's command. And so Genesis 4, 7, that's what it says. God talking to Cain, hey, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Before we go on the rest of this, like, do we get that? Like, God tells him, hey, listen, Cain, this is God talking. Cain, hey, man, you know what's right to do. Like, we've already, man, we, I've told Adam this. I've, we've talked about this. You know what you need to do. Bring the first and the best. You're going to be accepted. It's all good. And he goes on, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It's desire. Listen to this. It's for you but you must rule over it. See, God warns him. Cain's angry, man. He's ticked off at his brother. God warns him. He says, man, he says, listen, Cain, listen to me. Sin, it's like a lion. It's interesting wording. He says that sin is crouching at the door. It's like a lion getting ready to pounce on its prey, getting ready to take it out. And that's what he says sin is like in our lives. It's ready to take, it wants nothing more. Sin wants nothing more than for our sin to absolutely devastate our life. And so God warns him. God warns him. But we know the story goes. Cain, he would reject this offer to follow God. He would go on and he gets so angry that he would actually murder his brother Abel. So the consequences of living in darkness, it continues. I mean, we had the first murder in history. The darkness of sin, it's already started to create this web of consequences and problems that people in life have to deal with. Shame, guilt, denial, blaming, lying, death, anger, and now murder. Now, just, just think of this. If you're Adam and Eve and this happens, no doubt you feel terrible. I mean, this happens, you're like, man, I, I, this all started with us. I mean, they brought sin to the world right, by eating that piece of fruit. Every sin has its consequence. And just picture being them. Not only do they lose their child, but they lose their child, Abel, to Cain, their other son. He murdered him. I mean, that's so, it's such, a, such a hard thing to go through. So we see it in darkness. It's all over the face of the earth. I mean, it's everywhere and it's nasty. In just a couple chapters, Life looks dark. The world looks dark. It looks hopeless. But check this out. 
we get a little beam of light that shines through Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3.15 says this, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is talking, this is going back to Genesis chapter 3 when God is talking to the serpent. He's talking to Satan. And we get this beam of light and then you're like, well, what do you mean a beam of light? What does this verse mean? Well, it says this. Yes, there's gonna be pain for sin. Okay, there's gonna be pain for sin, but it says this. Ultimately, there is one coming who is going to crush Satan, which is clearly Jesus. And so for the first time in the Bible, we have the prophecy of this Jesus, this Messiah, this light that is coming to a dark world that is completely hopeless right now. And we need this light in our own lives. I mean, if we're honest, the world's dark. Sin's consequences are everywhere. I mean, we need this light. That's what this Christmas season we're talking about. Next week, Zach's gonna come back. He's gonna share with you guys a little bit more about that promised light to come. Let's pray. God, thanks for letting us have this time together. Thanks for letting us just break down your word and get into really just, God, just see even sin coming to the world. And, and I know it's kind of a hard message to hear. God, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of hope. God, but we have the promise of Genesis 3.15 that God, your son Jesus is gonna come to this earth He's going to crush Satan, going to crush sin. God, Zach, we talk about that next week. God, I pray you'd help us even now. Maybe we're thinking about in our own life how we've sinned and different consequences we've had. God, I pray that we would, uh, God, have hope today knowing, God, that our, our sin debt, it can be forgiven, God, because of you and what you've done for us. God, we pray that you'd help us as we go throughout this week, be able to invite people back next week's service and Christmas services, God, because, God, we have the light. God, we got to get it out to our world that needs it. I pray helps do that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, let's stand as we